slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Let me add my welcome to Tony's. My name's Tom Woodbridge. I um, work here at Inspire St. James. I help to uh, oversee this uh, Clerkenwell Talks, the opportunity to think about um, how our faith uh, impacts our work. And that's what we're doing, as Tony said, in this sort of short three-week series. Uh, last week, we thought about what God says about work. Um, and we finished with the question, if you like, at the end of last week of thinking, great work is good, not so great work is frustrated, wonderful that one day work will be restored, but what about now? What about our time now in our workplace? Is it a kind of in-between stage where we put up with it until that time when work is restored? What about now? I wonder if I was to ask you um, how you felt uh, your faith impacted your work, how you felt your faith worked itself out um, in your workplace, what it is you might say. Maybe you'd go, you know what, I'm I'm actually pretty good. (laughs) Most people know that I'm a Christian at work. I, I, I let my faith impact the way I conduct myself, how I make my decisions how I interact with my colleagues. Maybe you'd just prefer not to think about that question at all, how my faith impacts my work. You'd say something like, well, Woody, I'm, I'm a Christian. I, I trust in Jesus, but, but work? I just find that really tough. I mean, <laughs> you haven't met the people that I work with. I, I don't know how any Christian could let their faith impact their work there. Or, or maybe you think, well, my line of work is, is just kind of incompatible with my faith. The two just don't overlap. I can't see how it works. Or, or maybe you've just never thought about it. Maybe you're here as someone who wouldn't call themselves a Christian. And maybe you're here as a fairly new Christian. And you've thought nothing about how your faith, how the Christian faith, could impact our work. And so we're going to get into this passage uh, that Tony just read out to us to have a think about what God's got to say to us. Um, But before we look at the verses and what God's saying here, what Paul's saying in this letter, um, two things that I just think it's important to be aware of as we get into this passage. Here's the first. Um, Before we look at these verses at the end of chapter 3 about how our faith impacts our work, about how our faith plays out in our workplace, It's important to frame it with how Paul starts this chapter. Because without taking note of the start of chapter 3, it's very easy to fall into the trap of thinking about a gospel of works. A gospel that says, right, here is what you have to do in order to gain a favour from God. Here's what you've got to do in order to prove that you're a Christian. 
And so Paul, throughout the whole letter of Colossians, and especially here at the beginning of chapter 3, wants to make it so clear to us that it's all been done for us. That's our starting point. Have a look very quickly at verse 1 of chapter 3. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. See the past tense? Since you have been raised with Christ, it has been done for you. And so, will we set our hearts and our minds on things above? on where Christ is, on who Christ is, and on everything that Christ has done and achieved for us. The fact that Christ came and died taking the punishment that we deserve to restore relationship with God for us. And so Paul wants Christ to be the driving force behind everything that we do. Let that be our starting point, and so let that shape the way that we let our faith impact our work. Second thing before we have a look at these verses, I'm sure as they were read out to us, uh, many of us thought about, were thinking about this topic of slavery. It's kind of the elephant in the room, as it were, as we look at these verses. And often, um, Christianity can be accused of, of in some way condoning slavery by what it says in the Bible. Uh, but it's worth just noting a few things. First, the slavery that Christianity or the Bible speaks into in the first century was very, very different to maybe the slavery that you picture in your mind or the terrible transatlantic slave trade that we often think about. It was a very different context in that first century. In fact, a freedom for slaves in the first century may not have necessarily been a good thing for slaves for many reasons. Here's one example. In the first century, there was no welfare state. And so if you were to fall into difficulty, if you were to run out of money, then the options were either to suffer with it and possibly likely die from it, or to give yourself over to a wealthy family who promised to take care of you in return of your work for them, your service to them. And so to just abolish slavery as it was in the first century without these things in place wouldn't have necessarily been the best thing to do. It's also worth noting that Christians were the ones who did sow the seeds in abolishing slavery. If you were to le read Paul's letter to Philemon later on in the Bible, Philemon was a slave master and Paul writes to him about a runaway slave called Onesimus to challenge Philemon to take him back. Here's what Paul says. Will you take him back not to treat him as a slave, but better than a slave, as a brother? And it's not just in biblical times, but we see in history how Christians were at the forefront of the abolition of slavery. And so as we get into these verses then, uh, we need to be careful to consider carefully the context into which they were first written. But at the same time, there are some timeless principles that we can take out of these and apply to our lives, and specifically as we think about this lunchtime, to our lives as Christians in the workplace. So with all that in place, uh, let's get into our passage. We're going to ask three questions of our passage to think about how this applies to us and the challenge to us living out our faith in the workplace. Here's the first question. How are we to work? 
how are we to work? Verse 22. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. Paul jumps straight in. There's no kind of warm-up. But here's the standard. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. Obey the boss in everything. Paul says there is to be a wholehearted commitment to our work, a wholehearted obedience to our boss. You see, the Bible's guidance and wisdom about work is less about what you do and more about how you are to do it. A wholeheartedness in our work, a commitment to our work, obeying the boss. There's a sense in which the Christian in the workplace should be the most committed person there. As we take God's word to obey our boss, so we will look to work in a way that shows our commitment and our wholehearted obedience in it. So when the boss sets a project, will we do it to the best of our ability? When the line manager announces a kind of new or change of direction, a new direction of travel, sure there might be uh, the situation where there's pushback and questions and debate for the right answer, but once he makes the call, are you ready to be obedient and follow that call? And Paul says that commitment extends to all of the time. Whether the boss is watching or not, Paul says, do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favour. I'm sure we know what uh, Paul's getting at here. I remember speaking to a friend uh, soon after he graduated in the first office he worked in. Um, It was a small office, it was quite a junior office. Uh, The director worked upstairs and he said over time what would happen is if ever the director came downstairs into the office, the whispers would start going round the office. Watch out, he's coming, look busy. Ever had the same experience? Yourself, dare you admit it, or others around you in the workplace? Well, it seems like it's existed for ages, 2,000 years in fact. Paul speaks right into that context. The Bible is so relevant. Sometimes I feel that the Bible's so old it just doesn't understand how we operate today. And yet Paul talks about exactly the same thing. Maybe it's how you switch from the BBC News tab to the spreadsheet you're meant to be working on as the boss walks around the corner. Paul knows that happens. It's always happened. Don't just work when the eyes are on you. I wonder if you work at the moment in an open plan office or have ever worked in an open plan office. They exist for a reason. They cost the company thousands in terms of disruptions and a lost efficiency, and yet apparently they earn the company millions. Because the reality is that most of us don't seem to work very well when people aren't looking. And Paul says, as Christians, we're called to be different. Be wholehearted, be committed, be obedient, and not just when their eye is on you. Don't just work to curry their favour, to be a people pleaser, to try and gain their favour. I wonder how different your work might be when the boss is out of the office compared to when they're in the office. 
I wonder if your work is any different in the knowledge that it's going to pass under the boss's eye. How are you working when the boss isn't there? Are you the kind of person who sticks around the office because the boss is still in, but as soon as she's gone, then that's you done? Paul calls the Christian to be different. Will we be different from those around us? What's our motivation throughout this passage? Whenever Paul calls us to do something, he always gives a motivation. What's the motivation here? Well, here's the motivation. Be different because the Lord is watching. Do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Don't do it for the boss's sake. Do it with a sincerity of heart. Be genuine in the way you work. And do it for a reverence for the Lord. Not for the boss, for the Lord. Obey our boss in everything out of a deep reverence or respect for our Lord Jesus Christ. Know that he knows your every thoughts, your every motive, your every action in the office. And so work well, not because the boss's eye is on you, but because Jesus' eye is on you. There's the first question, how are we to work? Here's the second one, how are we able to do this? How are we able to do this? And these are the central verses, verses 22 and 23, the central verses of this passage. The key verses, the transformative verses, such countercultural verses that if we get this, if we allow these verses to shape and to change our lives, to shape and to change our work, then maybe we'll work totally differently. Have a look down, verse 23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. There it is again. Work at it with all your heart, a wholeheartedness here in your work. You see, these verses stop any kind of sense for the Christian of any kind of idleness creeping in to our work. No opportunity or excuse for the Christian to say, well, my work's just not important. There's more important things, so I'm just not going to try. I'm just not going to give myself to it. No, work it with all your heart. I wonder if you say that's a fair description of your work, to work at it with all your heart. I wonder what might be the kind of things that are in danger of stopping you from working at all your heart in your job. What are the distractions that you get? Maybe it's, certainly for me, the BBC News or the BBC Sports page, just checking the new story maybe that's come in. Maybe it's the phone always going off. Maybe you're the kind of person who does work with all their heart, but, but only when the deadline's approaching, right? If I've got loads of time, then hey, chill out, relax. Or maybe it's only when the work comes from certain people. If the boss sets it, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll give that my all. But if they set it, I wonder what it might look like in your job to work with all your heart, however big or small the task is whoever sets it for you. And work at it with all your heart, not because it might bring the best pay packet, 
or the bonus or the promotion or the reputation that you desire. No, whatever you do, verse 23, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. You see, this changes our whole perspective of work. In whatever you are doing, lawyer, consultant, architect, designer, chef, cleaner, engineer, you are not primarily working for your firm or for your boss, but working for the Lord. It is Jesus Christ that you are serving first and foremost. That's got to be our starting point. That's our first thought as we walk into work every morning. And so that helps us to work wholeheartedly, to give our all because we serve the Lord Jesus Christ who gave his all for us. What does this look like? What does this not look like? Well, Paul helps us by giving us, if you like, the dress code earlier in chapter 3. First, he tells us what not to wear. Look at verse 8. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices. I wonder if you read those as you heard those, uh, those th- words read out and think, well, that can sometimes be the standard dress code in my office. In fact, sometimes I find that creeping into my own work. And the danger is that we can slowly start to justify it. You don't know my colleagues. It's not my fault I get angry with them. Everyone does it over coffee, talking about and putting down other people's performance and what they're doing. The job requires me to lie. Well, well, I wouldn't call it lying. It's, it's more just bending the truth, altering the figures some slightly. You have to do it. Every firm does it. And yet, Paul calls us as Christians to be different. Put them off, he says. Rid yourselves of these. And so what's the Christian's dress code? Well, have a look at verse 12. And as I read them, imagine an office where these are commonplace. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Wouldn't offices up and down the country be transformed if these were commonplace? Bearing with one another, loving one another, forgiving one another. How are we able to forgive with some of the things that maybe our colleagues have said or done towards us? Well, forgive in the knowledge that you have been forgiven for much, much worse. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. How are we able to live, transform lives in the workplace? Well, it's with an attitude that says, whilst, of course, I am serving my firm, I am working for my company, whilst I am working for my boss, for my line manager, 
first and foremost, it is the Lord Jesus Christ who I am serving here. Maybe, maybe a good take-home, if you like, would be to, to write up this verse and put it somewhere to remind you every morning, maybe to get it to pop up as your laptop starts up, or to write it on a post-it note and stick it to your, your screen. How do we work? Wholehearted, obedient, committed. How can we begin to do that? Well, remember, it is the Lord Jesus Christ we are serving. And then finally, and more briefly, Paul finishes with a word to the bosses in the room. What about the bosses? Chapter 4, verse 1. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Paul gives a real challenge here to the bosses to say, don't abuse your position, don't take advantage, but do what is right and what is fair by your workers. Jump back to the first century. Could you imagine how countercultural this would have been? To a society where owning slaves would have been commonplace, owning slaves is your possession to do what you want. And Paul says, don't abuse that position. Don't take advantage of it. Unfortunately, we probably all know of bosses who haven't acted as Paul calls us to. And I wonder if, if you're a boss here, does this describe how you act as a senior? How might it look differently in your work to live this out? How might you care for your workers? Are you marked out as a boss who does what is right by your workers? Are you seen as someone who does what is fair towards those who are under you? Do you take an interest in your workers? Do you pray for your workers? I think it's a massive challenge. And so maybe if you're a boss here, if you have people under you, do take time out to think about and to pray for God to help you to know what it might look like to be the boss that he wants you to be. And of course, as we've seen so far through the passage, Paul doesn't call us to do something without giving us the motivation. How as bosses, are we motivated to do what is right and fair by those who work for us? Well, by remembering that however high up in the chain we are, there is always someone higher up. We all have a master in heaven. A master who sees all that we do, not just our outward actions, but our inward thoughts and desires and motivations. A master who is perfect in his dealings with us, who is always right and fair. A master who will hold us to account for our actions. And yet a master who is ready to forgive when we get it wrong. You see, as we finish, this is the wonder of the Christian faith. Our salvation, our acceptance, our place in heaven isn't conditional or dependent on our performance in life or our performance in work. No, the wonder of the gospel is that we have been accepted because of what Jesus has done. There's no appraisals, no KPIs to hit, no performance review where our job could be on the line. No, we have been accepted. We have been forgiven. 
Our lives, remember chapter 3, verse 1, our lives are hidden with Christ. It is secure. And so that gives us a freedom to work. A freedom that protects us from a pride of ever thinking that we're that good. How can we think that? Jesus had to die for us. And yet a freedom that protects us from any kind of despair that thinks that we're just not good enough. We're worthless. Who would be interested? How can we think that? Jesus was willing to die for us. And so let that freedom liberate you. Liberate you not to not care about work, but liberate us to work with all our hearts because it is the Lord Jesus Christ that we have the privilege of serving every single day. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you for the gospel that we are accepted and forgiven because of what Jesus has done, not because of anything that we have done. And yet, Lord, will you help us in our places of work to let our faith shape the way that we live and work? May you remind us that we work serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we look to do that, will that shape the way that we interact with our colleagues and that we, how we conduct ourselves in our workplace. Sorry when we get it wrong. Lord, thank you that you are a forgiving God. And Lord, will you change us by your Holy Spirit? In your name we pray. Amen.